0: This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49. I'm also a retiree. And this is the Chapter 49 podcast, a weekly podcast. And once again, I welcome our chapter president, Duncan Giles. Good afternoon, Larry. Great to talk to you as always now we we're going to talk we're just going to be the two of us we don't have a guest this week but we are going to have a surprise we want you to listen to the end of this podcast we have something very special at the end for you at least and i thank you everybody
1: I, listen till the end we always have great information we you know
0: but we have a we, special surprise at the end
1: yeah we don't lead with our best stuff we <laughs> It's all
0: gold. <laughs> yeah, we don't pay attention to journalism here, right? The uh, inverted pyramid is, is out the window. Well, let me uh, talk about what's, what's front and center. We've talked about this on several podcasts, including with Tony Reardon, our national president, when he appeared. That's the uh, federal employee pay raise. Uh, tell us where that stands.
1: As of this moment in time, and, and as we all know, this can change and turn on a dime. Right now, uh, the House, who's basically doing the budgeting, uh, is, has been silent on a pay raise. They haven't said anything on a pay raise. What that would mean is that the pres- it looks like the president has suggested a 1% pay raise in his version of the budget. And so that's what it would look like would come through if Congress would remain silent now. That's not going to be uh, parity with the military because they're supposed to get a little bit over 3%. And there are some in the House who are trying different vehicles to, um, to, if they can't get pay parity for civilian employees, at least get a little bit more. But as of this moment, the tea leaves are saying 1%.
0: And it's interesting because there were many, many years. In fact, the years when I first began at the IRS in the 1980s, the early to mid-1980s, when it was sort of sacrosanct that there would be this pay parity you talked about. Whatever the raise the military received, the civilian workforce would get the same. And uh, there were not that many years after that, into the 90s, that, that uh, connection ended and really – has not been uh, there has not been that kind of parity for a long time. Any any reasons you think why that uh, that pay parity parted ways some years ago?
1: I think it's basically a lot easier to give uh, pay raises to those in the military because God knows they deserve it uh, than it is to civilian employees who, spoiler alert, we also deserve it as well. I think it's just more palatable politically to say, hey, we're going to do this for the military, and there's not so much uh, brushback when they don't do it for civilian.
0: So at this point, it looks like a 1% raise, which is better than zero, but not as good as you might uh, expect, uh, considering... The fact, and I, here's the one thing that uh, I think ought to be considered: the fact that federal employees are having a tough time, just like everybody else. Although we have been paid, even if we are not able to come to work due to uh, weather and safety leave, and 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 you know we have underlying health conditions, that sort of thing. Most people are working. I mean, uh, we have a number of people on the Weather and Safety leave, but I would say a large percentage of people are working from their home. Some people are going into the offices and doing what needs to be done because we need a certain number of people at the offices. So uh, there has been some talk in Congress about whether or not, first of all, there will be a a new kind of stimulus bill now that the unemployment benefit bonus is going to end at the end of this month whether federal employees might be getting some breaks in any legislation. Have you been, I've been reading a little bit about this. Uh, I've read some encouraging and some not so encouraging reports. What are you hearing?
1: I'm hearing the same things, Larry. It's all over the board. Uh, Right now it looks like um, the majority in the Senate is having a very tough time coming up with a plan of their own that, they can get the vast majority of their members to agree with. The House, of course, have already passed the Heroes Act. Um, so what it would what it would boil down to is that the you know they're going to have to hammer something out because the two bills, the one that's passed the House and what we're hearing is coming out of the Senate, or possibly coming out of the Senate, are vastly different so you know does that go to conference committee does the senate pass something and then goes back to the house you know how's that going to work how is that going to impact our our members our federal employees we just don't know but you know like you said federal employees are there working i mean you know we're the ones that are making sure that the you know the checks get out we're the ones taking care of the paperwork We're back answering the phones. We're back, you know, doing what we can audit-wise. We're back collecting money where we can, you know, as best we can. And, you know, every other governmental agency is doing their part uh, as best they can. So the federal workforce should definitely not be slighted because we're out there working and the ones who are working face-to-face with people are facing the COVID threat every day. And we see more and more people... um, you know, ending up with that, so I don't think they should be discriminating federal employees in the pay in the pay parity.
0: And I would expect that as this uh, moves its way through Congress, uh, we will be highlighting that issue on this podcast. Uh, we'll try to keep it weekly. I may have to take a an interregnum in August, but we'll talk more about that later at some point. Uh, but we'll try to keep it weekly with a possible uh, interregnum for me in a, in, a, in, a, in the next few weeks. But I want to talk uh, about something else, and that's uh, extended telework. You know, uh, a telework uh, used to be called FlexiPlace when we first started this years ago. Now it's telework to kind of uh, make it uh, embedded within the usual uh, 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 word parlance that's going on in terms of describing this program. You're basically working from your home, possibly another site, but for people in this environment, it's home. And as we've mentioned before, there have been contract provisions, whether you called a telework or, or a flexi place, there were always provisions where you had to be in the office a certain number of days every pay period. I believe it's two now. Uh, that had been waived under this extended telework. You don't want people going into the office necessarily now. Uh, we're on this extended telework. First, kind of, ex- uh, I just try to give an overview, give a, a, a definition of what extended telework means, and why it's very important. That that's going. Uh, the service has said that policy will continue all the way into next year. What
1: they're what they're looking at is you know how it's been since the pandemic has started, has been okay. We want to keep people at home. We want to keep them as safe as possible. So we're just gonna have them work out of the home and we're going to waive the two days of pay period that they have to come in. Now, this was something that we had worked for at the table the last several contracts to say, you don't really need the people coming in. And they were, management was adamant saying, yes, you have to have these people come in twice a pay period. Now, if they wanted to make the argument they have to come in twice a pay period due to locality pay and where the POD is located, that's fine, but saying they have to come into the office twice a pay period and it has to be a full day that they're in the office to be able to function, I think we're proving that uh, wrong. We're, right now, we're hearing that um, DHS is looking at going until February, the end of February, to keep their folks out in this type of uh for lack of a better term, pandemic telework, where everybody's working from home full time. And the Department of Treasury is, quote, seriously studying, unquote, doing the same thing. I think this is going to end up being um, pretty much what the federal government's going to end up doing because, you know, we're just, we're not seeing that curve flatten. You know, and Indiana's a great example. We just had our highest number of COVID cases Uh, to date in in one day, in one reporting day. So I think that they're going to look at this. I think they're going to adopt that model. And I think they're going to say, okay, through February, we're going to have everybody stay in the office. Now, will it loosen up where employees can go into the office if they need to for, you know, paperwork or certain work papers or something like that? I would urge anybody that does have a need to come into the office to get anything to talk to their manager so their manager can talk to their area director and get permission to do that. Because there are some times that you do need to, uh, to go into the office to get some things. Uh, but for the vast majority of the time, you should be staying at home where we can, you know, where you're going to be as safe as possible.
0: That's interesting you mention that because I do produce the Chapter 49 podcast, but I produce other podcasts, and I had a, an interview uh, the day before we record this with Lindsay Erdotti, who is uh, the government and political reporter for the Indianapolis Business Journal. And we were talking that morning, recording that podcast, and she was basically saying to me, well, you know, I don't see any prospect of, of Governor Holcomb requiring masks in Indiana. Well, one ha- so that I mean, that was the, the that was the general scuttle. But all the reporters covering the state house uh, believed that. And next thing you know, that afternoon, the governor issues uh, an edict that beginning Monday, uh, you got to wear a mask in the entire state of Indiana. That is an idea of just how difficult things have become. Where I live, an Indianapolis suburb of Fishers, the mayor had already uh, enacted that. That starts a few days before the state requirements. So there seems to be uh, an, a recognition, at least in, in Indiana, that things are tough. And before you you may need to go in the office, but you also might want to think about whether you really do have to go in the office uh, with uh, with – what the numbers we're seeing on coronavirus don't you think
1: absolutely and you know if we want to flatten this curve it it's been you know studied and this is something that they definitely know will flatten the curve three things we need to do wear masks when you're out social distance and wash your hands those are three things that aren't difficult but for some of us, it seems that one, two, or three of them seem to be more difficult than uh, other things. But, I mean, if we can all do that, we can try and beat this back. But, I, you know, I'm one of those. I go to the grocery store every Sunday morning. That's that's basically my big outing. Everything else is carry out or, you know, drive through. I haven't been in a sit-down restaurant. Um, you know, you just... You just have to make sure that you're playing it safe and doing the right things.
0: Now you did mention earlier that, uh, the treasury department is seriously studying extended telework. When you hear that, why does that make you feel?
1: Anytime I hear seriously studying, that always makes me nervous when it comes <laughs> to the federal government.
0: And it's uh, sad to say that, but I, I, I do believe they are seriously studying it. But, uh, Treasury's not been known to make quick decisions on anything. So we'll, we'll, maybe in this case that will happen. We'll see. I,
1: I think actually it will. I think, to be honest with you, I think a lot of agencies across the government are looking at what DHS has done in that regard and said, you know, we might as well go ahead and bite the bullet and understand it because, you know, we're sitting here in the end part of July And we're going to be experiencing, you know, they keep saying we're going to be having a second wave that could even be worse come the fall and winter. And we've done nowhere close to flattening the curve right now. So they need to figure out how to keep operating as best we can.
0: Now, we've talked about weather and safety leave before. I mentioned it earlier that uh, there is still a percentage. I don't know what was it, 10, 20 percent of IRS employees still on weather and safety leave. You might be able to give me a better figure on that. But uh, it's still most people are working at the IRS or working at home. Some are working in these submission processing centers. uh, And, and, you know, the management, I think, is making its best effort to try to keep it safe. But we still have had outbreaks. We're going to talk about one in a moment. But when you're on weather and safety, leave, that is generally because you have self-certified that because of your age, medical condition, or a combination of both, you're at high risk based on the way the Centers for Disease Control has defined that and those definitions have moved a little more narrow in in recent weeks. But if you self certify as weather and safety leave you are being paid to stay home at this time. Uh but we don't know how much longer that's going to happen. Now, uh, I did. you are very kind to share with me the summaries of the meetings that are held between the top officials of IRS and NTEU. I think it's twice a week now. And there was a, a quote from one of those summaries that said, IRS stated they are not aware of any plans to recall high-risk employees at this time, end of quote. So I, I believe them now. I think the big question, and I'd like your view on this, I will feel a whole lot better when the agency gives us an idea of what kind of notice people will get once a decision is made to end weather and safety leave. Kind of explain where you think uh, the union and the management are at this point in time on this.
1: I think it gets me, again, very nervous when they're not aware of any plans to recall employees. Okay, that's different to me than saying, we're not doing that right now and we don't foresee in the future. That's a totally different, that's almost like a non-denial denial denial type thing to me. Uh, Do I think it's going to happen tomorrow? No, I do not. Uh, Do I think it's going to happen in the near future? I do not. But they've got probably, again, depending upon how many employees uh, we're saying work for the Internal Revenue Service, I would say that there's probably 10 to 15 percent and the vast majority of those folks are in uh, wni that are on weather and safety leave right now and these are folks that they're due to their job or due to their home circumstances they're not able to telework so you know that's that's a pretty big percentage that i know irs would like to get back but they don't know how to do that safely and you know do you social distance do you make sure that everybody's wearing masks who's enforcing who's wearing the masks when they come in. That's been a large problem, I know, in service centers and to a lesser degree call sites because the vast majority of call site employees are teleworking or on weather and safety leaks. But it's, it's become a big, big problem in the service centers with people not wearing masks correctly or not wearing masks at all when, after they come in.
0: Interesting. So we do have a few people who just seem to object to wearing a mask at some of these big centers. I hadn't heard that before.
1: Yeah, that's just, and it's just human nature. We've got a certain percentage of people that have decided that masks uh, do not cut down um, the spread of the virus, which, of course, it does. It doesn't stop it completely. Heck, no. But it's it's sort of like sneezing. If you put your hand in front of your face you're going to you know, not hit somebody that's six feet away from you. If you put a mask on, you're not going to spread those germs six feet away uh, or at least a much less percentage than you would. But yeah, you've got the people that say that they can't breathe when they have a mask on, which I'm sure would come as huge news to those in the medical profession and others that wear masks all day long. Um, or that they think that this is just part of, some sort of
0: conspiracy. I did that. see, uh, the governor had his, um, I, I didn't see it all, but I saw a portion of uh, the governor's uh, news conference yesterday, Governor Holcomb of Indiana. And that's, this question came up about uh, one of the reporters asked, because the reporter gets a question all the time. You know, is it safe to wear a mask? Is there any, med-? and this uh, surgeon who's on this, you know, medical team the governor uses Got up and said, Well, I was doing surgeries for eight hours the other day. I wore a mask the whole time. I did just fine.
1: <laughs> that's, I mean, that's it exactly when you hear these people saying, Well, if I wear a mask, it's going to build up carbon, di- carbon dioxide and, you know, I won't be able to breathe and I'm not getting enough oxygen. And it's like, you know, I, I go back to that, you know, insurance commercial. That's not how this works. That's not how any <laughs> of this works. That's exactly uh. the opposite what happens there is no oxygen drop when you're wearing a a properly fitted mask you're not building up carbon dioxide you can if your glasses are fogging up because you're wearing a mask you know it's all over the internet that you can put a tissue fold it over and put it on top like over the bridge of your nose and voila that'll absorb any of that uh, moisture that's coming up so you won't fog up your glasses there's no really a good reason not to wear a mask in my opinion
0: okay and i i think the medical experts there may be a small handful of people who may have a medical reason not to wear a mask but they're very few in number so it exists but it's not very common just so everybody knows and that's based on what i'm reading from the experts i am no expert myself i read the experts and and try to learn from them well, COVID just again has uh, COVID 19 has uh, been what we talk about on most podcasts. We talked about what was happening in Evansville with a positive test there in the Taxpayer Assistance Center. We've had a couple of other reports of positive tests. Explain where that happened and what's going on there.
1: Yeah, what it's, uh, what they're, the terminology that they're using. We had a report from the Indianapolis call site that they have potential, and I, I wanna get up the exact wording that they're using, um, that they are considered presumed positive for COVID-19. Now, my understanding upon my investigation, and I you know, am treading lightly because of HIPAA, but nobody is exhibiting any symptoms. It was somebody that was uh, either one or two people that were exposed in a gathering Um, to somebody who later found out had COVID. So, you know, this is one of those things that you just, you never know. As I was telling somebody just the other day, like I said, I go to the grocery store every Sunday morning to buy groceries. I can flat guarantee you that there's probably somebody there who may be totally asymptomatic, but they've got COVID. It's just so prevalent now in our society that it does happen and what uh we're doing in uh fmss our facilities folks did and i appreciate this airing on the side of caution you know they wanted to make sure that they can make as a safe environment as possible so last night there was an enhanced cleaning at the call site where they wiped down all the common areas any areas that they knew of that these employees may have been um and now we're just awaiting results of tests from these employees to see if they do indeed have COVID. And if that's the case, then there may be other employees that may need to take a test. But we're hoping that the presumed positive comes back as negative And we're just uh, going with an abundance of caution, as we should be doing.
0: Yeah, I just saw that the city of Fishers, where I live, uh, offers a free test to any resident of Fishers every two weeks if you want one and that right now there are 1,100 tests that are waiting for the results. There's a backlog everywhere. So getting those test results is certainly not an easy thing to do, and it's not a quick thing because of just the numbers we're seeing in Indiana and across the country. Some of these labs are servicing uh, more than one state. But I think you make a very good point what is currently what is known by the management as as you uh, as a representative of the the union is that we're talking about employees who were known to be exposed to people who have tested positive. So we don't have a verification that there's a positive test of an employee at the call center at this time. Is that an accurate uh, description?
1: Exactly. That's why I wanted to make sure that distinction was well known. I appreciate the clarification on that, because a presumed positive is different than a positive case. We've had several presumed positives at the cases in the state of Indiana, and very few, thank goodness, actual positive cases. There have been some, uh, It's a, because it's a numbers game, but very few. And we're hoping this one uh, turns out to be the same, again, because the person, uh, the folks that Self-reported, they did everything that they're supposed to do correctly. Uh, have not shown any symptoms and are asymptomatic.
0: And at, the, at this point, the landlord for the call center on the northwest side of Indianapolis uh, is cooperating as is our facilities people. So there was a there was a very good cleaning done. So that's that's the good news.
1: Yes, yeah, they go in. I mean, every door, every railing, every table in a break room, every chair in the break room. I mean, any place that, uh, you know, things may accumulate. Now, they don't go in and clean the cubicles because they cannot do that per their contract, the way it's contracted out. But, you know, if any employees have any issues or think that they may have problems, if they do not have cleaning materials, they should let their manager know, let me know, let somebody know so we can work on it because facilities has said they have supplied... Uh, materials to every single workplace across the country and we want to hold them to that and make sure that those supplies that are needed are being getting out
0: there now we understand that the service uh, continues to say no and this is a double negative sorry no non-essential travel should be even attempted until the next fiscal year that was be october which isn't that far away but, what is the difference between essential and non essential travel in in this environment
1: um, <laughs> You have to go back to i I'm laughing because i 'm thinking of justice brandeis uh you know i I'm not sure what it is, but i 'll know you know pornography i don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it That's almost like what they're doing at this point with the uh essential and non essential travel The vast majority. Of travel that we do for things like going out to audits, going on field calls if you're an RO, uh, things of that nature, has been declared non-essential at this point. Um, I think that there's very little uh, travel that is considered essential. So I, right now, I think they're just again erring on the side of caution, saying you know we're going to continue to do business as we have been since March. And, um, you know, and they keep they keep pushing out the dates, which they should. They're trying to figure out, okay, when can we do this safely? And they've made the determination, well, we don't think we're going to be able to do this safely until at least the end of the fiscal year, and it could get pushed back again. It, you know, that's there have been recent guidance from both collection and exam about when you should be meeting with taxpayers. And, again, it's very narrow circumstances. Only do it if you have to do it and that everybody should be practicing social distancing when you're doing that. They should. Everybody should be wearing masks, things of that nature. So they're trying to limit it as much as possible, and that's where the non-essential travel comes in to, again, keep everybody as safe as, as they can.
0: Even though I'm a retiree, I am a member of Chapter 49, and I have received my mask a couple of weeks ago. I love my Chapter 49 mask. There were two of them. Uh, I don't have any problem breathing through them, as we talked about before. Uh, And I wear glasses, and it hasn't been a problem for me there. Uh, If you are a member of NTU Chapter 49 and you have not received your masks in the mail, what do you do?
1: Yeah, we're going to ask people, to because I understand My just got mine. You know, you got yours a couple of weeks ago. Mine just came uh, a couple of days ago. Um, because the way the shape of the envelopes, they can't really go easily through the machines. So it's, uh, delayed the delivery of them somewhat. But if you haven't gotten anything by say Monday, please let me know so I can, uh, look into this. The masks are going to be coming to the federal building in the office. So I'll be able to check to see when we get returned for bad addresses, things of that nature. So I can contact people and say, you know, we can you let me know what a good address is so we can get these out to you? Because the chapter executive board, are, which consists of myself, Vice President Kathy Corbin, Treasurer Zoe Olgi, and Secretary Percy Groves, you know, we made the decision, what can we do for employees to help them with, um, you know, protective things in this COVID environment? and searched for companies that did masks. Uh, I'm very happy with the way that the mask looks with the Chapter 49 logo on it. Um, And we got a good deal from a company that deals is union employees and they give breaks to uh, unions. And so instead of one mask, we're able to send out two per individual. So we're very happy with that. And like I say, they seem to be very comfortable. They're washable because I've already washed mine up and hung them dry and uh, no ill effects whatsoever. So we want to make sure everybody that's a member that uh, gets theirs. So if they haven't, they just need to let me know starting on Monday. And like I said, I'll be reaching out to people as well, depending upon what we get back in the mail.
0: All right. We teased this at the beginning and uh, we just so you uh, people listening know uh, we have not excluded uh, members of management or executives. They are welcome to be on this program. You extended an invitation uh, to a uh, top management official who originally agreed. I'm not sure this person uh, received all the permissions from the management chain. Having been in management, I know how that works. So we weren't able to schedule that person this week. So I know we have, just from uh, the uh, the feedback that we have received, Duncan, that we do have some members of management and even a few executives who do listen to the Chapter 49 podcast. So I was going to do a top 10 list, but I really didn't have time. So we're going to do a top five list. Why a top executive of IRS should appear as a guest on the Chapter 49 podcast. So are you ready for this?
1: Yes, we're. Uh, yes, let's hear them.
0: All right, number the number five reason a top management official from IRS should appear in the Chapter Forty Nine podcast is so that person can just take a break from the regular job. Have you been in management? I know how important that is. The number four reason is that executive would have the rare chance to talk publicly with Duncan Giles. <laughs>
1: And that's supposed to be a good thing for
0: them? Well, it might be an incentive. Maybe not. Uh, Number three, this could be a a, a wonderful audition tape for a future appearance on IRS TV. (laughs) I've been on IRS TV, so I'll leave it at that. Uh, Number two, you can tell your friends and neighbors you, in fact, did appear on a genuine podcast. And number one reason that you should appear as a management official of IRS on the Chapter 49 podcast is to allow you to rehearse your testimony before the Senate Finance Committee.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've got to be easier than that. Great. Great.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, we just wanted to have a little fun with it. And, uh, you know, it's uh, if people uh, from the management uh, part of IRS want to come on the podcast... We're more, you're more than welcome to do it. We'll continue to have uh, guests from within. We were very fortunate that uh, Tony Reardon is, uh, is is a fan of the podcast and has come on. We've had a number of guests this week. Uh, it's just the two of us, but we have plenty to talk about. So any parting shots or final uh, comments before we wrap up this podcast? I uh, know.
1: I just want to piggyback on what you were saying, that we'll do anything uh, that's going to bring information to our members. And I know that there are, other IRS folks out there across the country that do listen to the podcast, bargaining unit, and non-bargaining unit. And, you know, we want to get out the best information that we can to everybody. And if, you know, somebody who is a management official that is going to, that covers, you know, not just one particular business division, but several business divisions, um, we are very happy to have uh, him or her on the uh, podcast to, answer some questions and i'm sure we'll be gentle as we always are
0: we uh, we've always been gentle with all of our guests and that would include management officials so we're we haven't been too tough on anybody and uh, you just listened to duncan giles he's the chapter president chapter 49 nteu national treasury employees union and uh, we represent most irs employees in the state of indiana this has been the chapter 49 podcast And if all goes well, we hope to be back next week. So have a great week, and we'll talk to you again a week from now.